Hey there, Booklies! This is Anastasia Nightingale, and welcome back to the Bookish Creation Podcast. This show is for adults only and sometimes contains erotic excerpts sent in by authors for the purpose of reading them on the podcast. These excerpts can at times include intense situations and or provocative characters. Please be sure to listen responsibly. Okay, so I am so excited today, you guys, because today we have an amazing new bookish book hype for the newly released book, Omega Awakening, by the talented L.V. Lane. And oh my god, the excerpts she sent in, mm, let's just say she has sent in some steal your heart amazing and oh so hot and steamy, I mean wow, excerpts for us to dive into and enjoy. Now, honestly, you guys, after reading these, I can't wait to read this book. I really seriously cannot wait to get into this book and dive into it, but I also can't wait to have a talk with you guys and see what we think is happening in these excerpts, see what we think is going on. Uh, I just can't wait to get into all these with you guys and share them with you. So without further ado, let's dive in. So the other thing that I really love about the excerpts that were sent in is the length of them. We actually do have a prologue to start out with. So thank you so very much, LV Lane, for sending these in. These are beyond fantastic. I really, really love these kind of excerpts. Okay, so the prologue for Omega Awakening. When we are born, we don't know what our future holds. But in some cases, we can make a calculated guess. I was the daughter of a dynamic and a non-dynamic. My mother died when I was a small child. She was the non-dynamic. My father, a mu composer of some renown, had fallen in love with my mother before they'd known what dynamic they would become, if any. It was unusual for such a pairing, or so I'd learn later on. At the time, it sounded like a fairy tale, the great composer and the lowly girl from the poor side of town. I remembered a lot of happiness in our lives. My mother's laughter, my father twirling me in the air until I was dizzy, cotton candy, piano notes. Even back then, I had a great imagination. I would build forts with blankets and chairs, steal a cooking spatula for a sword and smite invisible monsters while playing in my favorite hideaway under the stairs. I didn't need people. I know that was an odd thing for a little girl to summarize, but I didn't. There was something perfectly comforting about the love my mother and father shared. I didn't need to be a part of it, but I was aware of it as a thing of beauty on my periphery. I had adventures waiting for me in my hideaway under the stairs, and I submerged myself in those worlds. All things must end. That was one of the most difficult lessons I learned. I learned that lesson the day my mother died. My father grieved. We both did. It was a very confusing time. There was no laughter or cotton candy, no piano notes, only silence and tears. Grief, in its quintessence, is selfish. My father told me this one night while he was tucking me into bed. We are sorry that the person is gone, but we are sorrier that they have left us alone. I spent a great deal of time in my hideaway under the stairs, puzzling over the nuances of grief. Adults were, by nature, complicated. They had desires that were not always logical, nor good, 
and they acted upon them recklessly and without a great deal of thought toward the consequence. My father hired a pretty beta nanny to care for me while he worked. She tried to be my friend. I didn't need one. My mother had been content to let me play. The new nanny thought my desire for isolation to be wrong. I have always been good at reading people, even as a child. It was like I had a built-in detector that told me of other people's needs. My nanny wanted to befriend me, but there was a fakeness to it, and motives that were as apparent to me as a red flag to a mythical bull. She had no genuine desire for friendship. What she really wanted was for my father to like her, and a connection between these two quests existed in her mind. I had no desire to aid her quest. It was her quest and hers alone. Mine still involved cooking spatula swords and castles while my mother's undemanding love held me safe. All things must end. My querulousness earned my father's scolding. I was difficult. I should have made an effort to be normal. My father was lonely. The pretty beta was there. When one situation ends, another must begin. I learned that lesson the day my father married again. Wow! That is quite the prologue. Oh my gosh. Now, I know that the name of the heroine isn't said there, but her name is Verity. And I can just feel her utter pain in that prologue. Oh my god, this poor girl. Now, I am going to assume that Verity is an adult in this particular scene, and she's kind of doing a, a flashback. She's looking back at this particular thing that happened to her in the past, her life as a kid, as it were. And oh my gosh, my heart is just breaking for her, you guys. There's so much going on in this prologue, too. And a lot of it, I really love how it's set up. For instance, usually in romance, when you have a character where they have a tragic past from childhood, it's really common to see that character's entire life, from every point that they can remember, being tragic. So they were always in pain. They were always in suffering. They never knew love. They never knew comfort. They never knew any of the nice, good things that were going on. So I really love that with Verity, her childhood is clearly not the happiest thing. I really do feel the pain and the sorrow here. But there were happy times. She remembers being happy as a kid. She remembers the love that she saw between her mom and her dad and the way that they included her in that love in the way that was healthy and in the way that was meant to be shared with their daughter. The freedom, too, that she got to be her and be whoever she wanted to be, to be able to be that little girl that preferred to just be alone in her own world and be underneath the stairs and making up these adventures and these wonderful, great stories of her own that she could enjoy and have her parents be okay with that. I really love that that was included because it's a very different kind of feeling. It's a very different kind of trauma to have remembered that and have had that and then have it taken away. Now, I'm not saying at all that the characters that don't have that, that don't remember that at all, that their entire memory of their life as a child is all bad, all trauma, all very painful, is any less traumatic. It's certainly not. It's just traumatic in a different way. So I really like that that's how 
Verity's memory is, that she has those memories of being loved, that she has those memories of having that nice, happy time and then having them ripped away. And I can see how that probably is going to affect her in the story. I can see how that's going to have a really negative effect, in all honesty, with how she approaches the idea of allowing someone to love her and allowing herself to feel those feelings. Ooh, that's going to make for a really interesting dynamic in her relationship, especially with the whole Alpha and Omega thing going on. Ooh, I can't wait to see how that works out. And also, I can't wait to see how she gets healed, right? Because while this prologue does have quite a few nice memories in it, you just can't help but notice that it has an overall sad tone to it. An overall sad feeling. So I cannot wait to see how throughout the story she winds up getting healed from all of this. She comes back to being herself again. She finds confidence in being able to be who she is on the inside. Or at least I hope that that's what winds up happening in the story. Again, I have not read it yet, guys. I promise I have not. I'm just hoping that that is what winds up happening in the story and that we get to see Verity finding that love and carefree nature again within herself, learning how to trust again. Okay, so we have more exciting excerpts, so let's go ahead and move on. So this next one is called Verity's Awakening to Love. Dorian grinned, scooted closer, and cupping my cheek, leaned in to press his lips to mine. That touch was like sunshine, a golden warmth that zipped from my lips through my body. I sighed. The pressure that had once beat at my brows dissipated and my body softened. Oh. Dorian grinned again. Healers are natural givers, Verity. We like to give our healing, our bodies, and our love. All people have energy or vitality to them. In you, I see that there are problems. His earnest eyes searched mine. I see damage, but not the kind that can be easily healed. I stilled, a sensation arousing in me of being exposed. There are many different kinds of healers. Some can heal physically, and some can heal mentally, and some can heal spiritually. I can do a little of two of those things. The sensitivity in his gaze brought a sob to my lips. Hey, he said. The touch of his hand against my cheek steadied my galloping heart. Do you know how you heal someone? Spiritually? I shook my head, my lips trembling and perilously close to tears. You love them, he said. I want to love you so badly, to mend you piece by piece, to feel your body trembling under my hands with pleasure and with love. An Omega's awakening is special, but in your case, it's different because there will be healing and an awakening to love. Aww! Okay, that was swoon-worthy. That's like bring tears to your eyes worthy. That's so beautiful. I really, really, really love this scene, you guys. Aww. Okay, I can't stop saying aww. <laughs> Dorian is... Dorian is amazing. However, having read the blurb for Omega Awakening, Dorian's not in the blurb. The character's name who is mentioned in Omega Awakening is Woodrow, 
And Woodrow is actually in the next few scenes that we have coming up for our excerpts that I absolutely cannot wait to get to because, oh my god, I just can't wait. Cannot wait. But going back to Dorian, that makes me wonder who he is to Verity. Clearly he loves her, and clearly there's a little something-something going on here, but I want to know what. I really, really want to know what's going on in this scene. And if he's not our anti-hero, then I want to know what exactly he is. Why he's there with her. Why exactly he's doing these things. I'm very curious as to why he's doing this. And I cannot wait to figure it out. Especially this being an Omegaverse type of book. Mm, I can't wait to figure out what's going on here. How it plays out. How it's going to play out with Woodrow if Woodrow knows about this? I cannot wait to see how this is working out in the story, you guys. Absolutely cannot wait. Okay, but we have a couple more excerpts to go, so let's move on. Okay, so this excerpt is called Woodrow Makes His Play. She is exquisite, I said. Sing's monitor displayed the young Omega meeting with the community den mother. All very mundane, yet I couldn't turn away. Her dossier explained all about her family situation, and a sorry story it was. I'd read Dr. Bratch's private notes. Verity's stepmother was a bitch, and her father was a useless prick who couldn't keep his daughter safe. She needed protecting, to be cherished and adored the way an Omega should be. I thought you might be interested, Singh said. The test results indicate your compatibility level was outstanding. I didn't doubt he delivered the same pitch to every Alpha seeking to acquire an Omega but I'd taken my own copy of her test results and had them assessed. The psychologist I'd enlisted had provided a detailed report of his own. In essence, Verity would be perfect for my needs, and while there would be points of contention between us, I thought I'd enjoy those for entirely different reasons. My focus shifted to the program director in his high-backed wing chair, real leather and as pretentious as the rest of his office. There was an element of theatrics to his office, from the gaudy artwork on the wall to his left, to the neat row of glittering accolades behind him sitting judgment on his guests. The slight man was a theta dynamic as famous for his intelligence as his drive for success. I'd heard rumors that he hated alphas, whisperings that he would like to see our political power clipped. He broke eye contact first, but I took no satisfaction from it. More likely, he was pandering me. Playing me. That was to be expected. I had a reason to suffer his insolence, and despite the anticipated joy I might receive in taking his fragile skull between my hands and crushing it until his eyes bled and he begged for mercy, none of this showed. Okay, so this is Woodrow, and I actually really like him already from this. I love the fact that that one, yes, he is definitely that alpha male, and you all know how much I love the alpha males. <laughs> but I also really, really love the fact that he's viewing Verity as someone who should be cherished and protected. That is just so amazingly sweet to me. It's a quick little moment, but it's there. It seems like he hasn't met her yet, but he still wants to cherish her. He still wants to protect her. And that is the very first steps to wanting to love her. And I just love seeing that there so openly in his mind. Oh, it's just so amazing. I also really love the undertones 
of that darkness in him. I am a sucker for a good dark romance and for all the things that come along with it. And those undertones of his darker side are definitely there, especially in his thought of how he's going to enjoy those little points of contention between them. Mm, I can't wait to see how that plays out. Now, one of the things that I zoomed in on in this was the psychologist. The fact that Woodrow has taken that time to hire a psychologist to assess her. And also, what were the full reasons for the psychologist? I feel like there's an undertone there of him wanting to find the best way to heal her. If he hired the psychologist to help her, and that was the whole point of the psychologist's assessment, that's really, really sweet. I cannot wait to learn more about Woodrow. I can't wait to see more about what's going on here. I can't wait to dive into what's going on with the psychologist. Oh, I can't wait to see what's going on with this director and how that plays out. I love that the director broke eye contact first, and yet Woodrow knows it's not a something to celebrate. That's still really cool. Mm, I can't wait to see how this plays out. I am loving all of this so far. Okay, so we have one more excerpt to look at, and it is super, super steamy. If you are at work or around kids or anywhere where other people can hear you, please make sure you have headphones on. This one gets hot. All right, so the next excerpt is called Verity's Awakening to Woodrow. Fist in my hair, he dragged me from the table, through the doors, and tossed me to the bed with all the disregard I had treated the plate of food. He came down over me, forcing his knees between my legs, constraining my hands, and sinking his weight unto me. Thoroughly trapped, there was nowhere for me to go. The magnitude of his strength, of his sheer size, dawned upon me. Still fully clothed, I became aware of the rough texture of the material pressing into my delicate flesh, of the vast difference between us, and of the way my body responded to this, of the burning pain where my spanked bottom touched the bedding, his scent, the contrast between his powerfulness and my powerlessness conspired, creating a volatile combustion, masculine and feminine. The virus had changed us all, but it had altered alphas and omegas the most, warping us to an extreme. My body didn't care about how this had come about, or about the right or wrong. My mind didn't care either. My empathic awareness knew precisely what he wanted from me. Needed from me. Since my viral awakening, I had met other dynamics and non-dynamics, and I could be conscious of them without letting it swamp me. Yet, with Woodrow, there was no separation. I had heard the bond produced a similar effect, the ability of an alpha to force his will upon an omega, to make them calm, or aroused, to bend them to their alpha will, love. He wanted my body to submit, but he craved my adoration more. My heart fluttered within my chest, his weight pinning, his rich delicious scent enveloping me, drugging me. Let go, love. You have nothing more to fear. Words growled close to my ear. I shivered. Lips brushed with breathtaking lightness against my throat. I groaned. Heat pooled low in my belly. 
his hardness pressed against the sensitive place between my legs. Heavy. Everything was heavy. My eyes, my heart, my limbs. Teeth nipped gently. Lips skimmed, then sucked. Lower, ever lower, raising a path of goose bumps over my flesh. Lower and lower, awakening flesh to his skilled touch until his lips closed over the stiff peak of my nipple. I moaned louder as the sweet rhythmic tugging found a direct line to my clit. It was so, so gentle. I didn't understand how someone so strong could be capable of such care. A sob of need ripped from my chest. The gentle suckling continued. Woodrow was seducing me, like Dorian had done, and I was helpless to resist. He growled, mouth popping off, lips glistening as he stared down at me and reached between us. The faint click as his belt released registered as if from a distance. He was going to fuck me. Barely had that thought formed when he breached the entrance to my pussy. His elbow braced my head. The weight holding me shifted, his thighs parting, and in doing so, stretched mine open wide. The tip of his cock jostled inside my pussy, bringing a sweet, throbbing ache. I expected brutality. He was capable of such an act. But he was gentle, determined, working in slowly, stretching me open and forcing my body to submit. My experience with an Omega could not prepare me for the totality of his invasion. And when he finally filled me, no sensitive inner nerve escaped the stimulation of his hot flesh. <sighs> I warned you, I warned you, if you were at work and you were not listening with headphones on, I told you that that scene required headphones. <laughs> I adored that scene. It was hot as heck, yes. It definitely shows the alpha male in Woodrow, and it has that dark element in it. It really hits all the points of what I personally love in a dark romance. I can see where I'm going to really enjoy this book. I can see the elements that I really, really love within these kind of dark stories, just within this scene. But at the same token, again, there is that undertone of love. There is that note of wanting to heal her, of really needing her to not only give him love, but feel love again. And I just adore that. This scene is amazing. Honestly, I adore this scene. Mm, I just adore it. Now, I will say I also really loved the very beginning of this excerpt, where we get to see that little bit of defiance from her, when it says that he throws her onto the bed with all the disregard that she had treated her plate of food. What was going on just a moment ago that she felt a need to rebel towards a plate of food? What was the breaking point? Clearly, she's not giving in. She's not just submitting. She's not just going to be that wilting little flower in the corner that says, yes, sir, and just immediately breaks. And I love that. I absolutely cannot wait to see the bite that Verity has, the fight that she gives Woodrow. I can't wait to see how this all plays out. Mm, I just, I am burning with desire to jump into this book right now and figure out what in the world was going on just moments before with the food. 
I'm suspecting that she threw it. She had to have thrown the food across the room, but why? That's my biggest question right now is why did you throw the plate of food across the room or maybe even at him? That would be awesome. If she threw the food at him, I'm going to cheer her on even though I really like Woodrow already. I'm going to cheer her on no matter what. <laughs> I'm just that kind of weird person that I like the fight from the heroine in these types of dark romances. The other thing I'm really interested in learning more about is this idea of a virus. What's this virus? How does it affect them? Why is it affecting them? And what the heck happened? With all the little hints that we've gotten here and there throughout the excerpts that were sent in, I'm almost wondering if this virus was created or maybe is a weapon or who knows, maybe it's natural. I'm not really sure, but I can't wait to dive in and figure out what's going on with it to see if it's a big plot point or something that they have to figure out and fix. Mm, I just, I can't wait to see what's going on with that virus. I can't wait to see what happens there and how it winds up turning out in the story. Also, how is this virus going to affect Woodrow and Verity with them developing their relationship? What is it going to do and cause between the two of them that could either help or add friction to their developing feelings and the way that they are with each other? Yep, absolutely cannot wait to immerse myself in the story and get all of the juicy details, see how this all comes together, and really get to know Verity, Woodrow, and Dorian a whole bunch more. Okay, you guys, I think that's going to do it for this particular bookish book hype. Before we go, I wanted to give another big thank you to LV Lane for sending in these amazing excerpts. I have to say, I really, really enjoy doing these excerpts on the podcast. I love their length, I love how they came at the story from many different angles, and I loved how in-depth they were. Truly, these kind of excerpts they're like a sneak peek behind a curtain, so thank you so, so much for sending them in. If this hype has you as excited as I am to dive into Omega Awakening, be sure to grab your copy of it today. It is out now. As always, you guys, if you enjoyed this particular episode and would like to learn more about it, you can always visit the blog post for this episode by visiting the link in the description. You can always find this podcast blog post as well as more fun romance-related blog entries at my website at www.bookishcreation.com. And if you really enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe either to my podcast or to my blog so you never miss any of the juicy romance bookish moments, especially those hot excerpts set in by the authors. The Bookish Creation podcast logo was created by the Artsy Reader. The Artsy Reader is another bookish blogger who is absolutely amazing. If you want to see even more awesome blog posts about books as well as insightful reviews, be sure to visit her website at www.theartsyreader.com and consider subscribing to her blog as well. She's an absolutely amazing bookish blogger, you guys. You will not regret checking her out. I hope that you all are staying safe and healthy and that no matter how crazy the world is right now, you're making sure that this chapter in your lives is as amazing as your favorite book. I hope that you're all having an amazing morning, afternoon, evening, wherever you are in the world, and I'll talk to you next time. Bye!